Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app. You can find out more about us and our podcast on our website at productbydesign.co. You can also follow us on Twitter at prodbydesign. That's at prod underscore by underscore design. You can follow me on Twitter at Kyle Larry Evans. And you can also find Eva on Twitter at Yan Chow Chow. See you next time. All right. Welcome back to another episode of Product by Design with Kyle and Eva. And today we have a special guest, David Broshinsky. I think I said it right. We we practice. I don't even think. I, I, 10 out of 10. Yeah, right. maybe. You got it. Perfect. All right. Close, close. <laughs> so we are excited today. Welcome. Yeah. So we will we'll introduce him and his background in just a second. But first off, how's everybody doing today? I don't want to go first because mine's <laughs> going to trump everyone's whatever updates you have. So how are you guys doing? <laughs> I'm doing well. Um, thank you for asking. Uh, we're uh, going through a lot of changes uh, at work and I actually just got notified today that I'm going to be reporting directly to the senior VP of product now instead of up through a couple different methods. So this is the third boss I've had in three years now. So should be lots of fun, but I will be and Kyle, I think knows Mark, but yep. I'll be reporting directly to Mark McGee now at my work. So that was uh, how my morning started was him calling me up and saying, Hey, I had to tell you this before we announced it to the company. I'm like, okay, thank you. I appreciate that. Nice. Oh, that's good. That's I'm, I'm excited. Yeah. It's, I think it's a, it's a great thing for the organization. It is probably something that should have been a long time ago, it, but it reflective of, and we'll probably talk a little bit about this as as we get into design teams and design organizations, but it's a good step as design kind of takes yeah. a, a bigger seat at the table. That's so exciting. Yeah. <laughs> like just yep. anytime when any designer UX people like get closer to the core of the business, like, yeah, <laughs> let's do this. Push everyone closer. Um, exactly. But yeah, that sounds like an exciting move. I almost forgot today is Friday. <laughs> I'll tell you why I yeah. almost forgot in a second. But. I, yeah, I thought it's been Friday a couple of days this week. So uh, it was two, <laughs> yeah, Tuesday. I thought it was uh, Thursday, but I, I don't know why, but the days this week I've been absolutely confused on. That normally hasn't happened to me too much, but you know maybe it's finally catching up to me working from home and and everything. But I literally. I thought a couple of days ago that it was Friday and I was like, Oh no, I forgot to, to do some stuff. And it's our, it's Friday already. Anyway, thought for several days that it was Friday multiple times. And so obviously it's super disappointing when you don't think, when you think it's Friday <laughs> and it's not Friday. So that was a somewhat disappointing, uh, Tuesday for me. This is the most rela relatable thing to just all people on this planet. So I support this, this sentiment. Yeah. But um, is it time for me to drop yes. my big news? What's the big exciting thing? Well, no biggie. Um, Colby, my husband and I just closed on home yesterday and <laughs> we're, we're just like moving stuff and painting and, you know, getting stuff figured out in the house this past like couple of days. So I'm like Friday. Nope. Didn't notice that it's Friday. Cause haven't, <laughs> haven't been working. I'm just like high on new house. So there's that. And, um, a little bit ago, I guess 
in the break time, we were talking about how Dave and I are actually neighbors. I think very much the definition of neighbor, literally down, down the street. So yeah. That's so cool. Right. Yeah. You guys didn't Kyle, even know it until just away? now. Yeah. 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 It's kind of crazy. And I think Kyle, you might want to start thinking about like moving down a little more south. No, we're never moving. Oh, we whoa, that was fast. <laughs> <laughs> we moved in. We moved into this house, and that was it. Like we are staying oh, here, and I planting roots. Yes, this is it. This I I I swore up and down I will never move again after our last. Oh move. wow, yeah, <laughs> that's a big statement. Well, yeah. folks, you heard it here. Kyle's never going to move in here. Yeah. Plus we love this house and we actually just did a, uh, a loan yesterday as well. Not nearly as exciting as yours to finish our basement. So yeah, we finished our backyard a little while ago. We have an unfinished basement, but we are going full steam ahead on getting that done. So it's going to be sweet, super exciting to do all of that except it's going to be just an absolute ton of work. So not, mm. not excited about that part, but excited about when it's all done. It'll be lots of fun. I feel like the updates that we're giving, like this episode has been like the most <laughs> boring in a very good way, <laughs> because in previous times we, um, have, we have talked about, mur- I still love the murder bees, murder hornet conversation and then the earthquake that we had last year capital being raided all these things like just keep happening keep giving us materials during this time and now it's like oh great boring is good i i hope i don't i didn't just jinx it so yeah i'm I'm knocking quietly on wood (laughs) (laughs) i don't even know if my desk is real wood or not so i can't (laughs) promise knock on wood Heard it here. I did it. But yeah, sounds like everyone's doing great. And I am going to try to segue into um, our topic today. It's an interview and we already introduced Dave. So um, Kyle, how how should we segue this today? So you're my backup. Yeah. Speaking of doing great, welcome again, Dave, to our podcast. It's great to have you here. Yeah. Dave and I work together at Health Equity uh, a little while ago. And Dave is the director of UX at Health Equity and helped uh, basically create the UX group at Health Equity. And it was, I'd I'd almost venture to say non-existent until uh, Dave went in there and kind of helped establish it. That might be a little overstatement. I don't know. Uh, I think a that's a little probably, bit of a stretch, but not okay. much. Not not by much. Uh, I can go into the details a little bit further when we dig yeah, into the background part. Yeah. Anyway, Dave has been in the UX and design industry for a long, long time. So we're really excited to have you here. And why don't you tell us a little bit more about your background and your career history? Sure. You bet. So as you mentioned, my latest stint really has been here at Health, at, at health Equity, um, where I met you originally. And um, when I started, they actually had two UX team members. And at that point in time, they weren't very focused on one specific area. And so my job was to come in and rebuild the team and really establish UX as a presence within 
health equity. And that's something that I think I am doing a pretty good job at. I've been working very closely with product, obviously. Um, interestingly enough, this is the first time where we have reported uh, as, a, as a UX engineer that I've reported through product. So it's been a little bit of a new experience to me. Um, I've usually found myself with an engineering department, but it, this has been fantastic. And so, as I was mentioning earlier to these guys, um, I, today, I, my day started out with being called up and saying, hey, we're going to have you report directly to the senior VP of product, which was always, uh, it's a nice thing to know that you're you're having an influence and that people want to hear your voice. And so, and being supported like that by the team has just been fantastic. Um, I started in user experience so long ago that I'm not sure that either to you, the other two of you were born yet. Um, maybe not quite that long ago, but it has been a very, very long time. So I started doing tech support for computers back in uh, 1989. And as I was doing tech support for computers, I started working for a small little company called Prodigy. It was one of kind of the early online national dial-up things. and I, I was doing tech support for them and they came to me and said, hey, we'd really like you to help kind of design this bulletin board system where we have a whole bunch of people that want to come together and talk. And so that was kind of my very first taste of designing. I didn't really do a whole lot with that, kind of stayed, did that, and then moved a little bit more into tech support into a couple other places until I got a job at Primavera, which does project management. And they're the ones that really helped me take off. I got my degree in architecture up at the University of Utah. And when I say architecture, I mean building architecture, not computer architecture. <laughs> and so Primavera, who actually did project management and construction and project management and architecture all kind of went together, said to me, hey, you know, you, you've got this degree in architecture. We'd really like to see if uh, you could apply that to helping us design our software. So this was back in the Windows 3.1 days. Wow. Um, and my first job was to design a wizard to help people make a new project. Um, and, you know, project management is not the easiest of, of fields to start out in. It's a little dry. Nobody likes it. Everybody kind of hates it. And so we did some fun and exciting things and uh, spent the next three years competing very directly with Microsoft Project, which I kept telling everybody, listen, our, our biggest competitor is not Microsoft Project. Our biggest competitor is Microsoft Excel <laughs> because everybody would buy projects and it would stay on the shelf and it would become dust dustware as we used to call it um, because all it did was sit there and gather dust and then people would just use Excel to really manage their projects. But um, we did pretty well and we got some pretty good reviews early on from the trade press back then. And so I stayed with them for about 10 years. They moved me back out to Philly uh, while we were out in Philly. The web started becoming much more important. So in 1999, we started working on some projects where we could put project management on the web where we could do some document management on the web. And so that was my first experience working on the web. Um, and it was exciting. You know, it was a, it was a brand new era for, for design. It was people moving away from something that is a little bit, it allowed us to simplify things really is kind of what it boils down to. So uh, from there, I moved back to Utah. I, I got married and uh, my wife wanted to be close to family. So we moved back to Utah and I've worked for companies like Landesk who eventually became Avanti. I've worked for Family Search. Um, I've worked for a company called Gartner. Uh, and all of those were just great experiences and really enjoyed all of them. Um, really excited to be where I'm at now, though. So that's kind of the, the thumbnail of, of my background. But 
the, the you know how things start and how people get into user experience is always i think the most interesting part of it after that it's it's a lot of the same thing over and over and over again and it's starting to change now obviously when i started nobody went into user experience because they wanted to go into user experience because nobody knew what user experience was uh, you know i was i was there when jacob nielsen and jared spool were just you know starting to think about all the books that they were going to write and all the influence they're going to have over an industry it was kind of fun to listen to them as they were figuring out the way they they thought so wow this is crazy i feel like saying like oh jave has been around the block that's an understatement <laughs> i've been around the block built the block up torn the block down and then built it back yep. up again yep you're the block developer you have done it multiple times um yeah that's something that i mean like you have mentioned, like, I, I feel like I'm so young in the career, like compared to all the history that you have. And I'm very curious, just, um, I guess we can jump into our first question, which I'm curious, just UX, like you mentioned, like it wasn't really a thing and people were trying to figure out how to make it into a thing. And now we have everyone who wants to be in it. Right. And how has UX design as a practice evolved, like just throughout your career and you as an observer and practitioner, how has things just change. Uh, how has it changed? Well, like I said, um, you know, one of the most interesting things is back in when I was doing it, nobody was going to school to become a UX engineer. I did, there just was no training in the schools for this. There was psychology classes that people could take. And so it was always good when you could come across people that had psychology backgrounds, or you ran into people more like me that were more in some design oriented um, areas, but there really was no setup for somebody who was interested in really having a career in it to, to kind of follow. You couldn't just say, oh, well, I want to be a UX engineer, so I'm going to go sign up at the university and, and see what classes I can take. Um, I, it's still slower than I wish it was. Still, you know, I, I really think there should be more master level programs across, especially here in Utah. I wish there was more access to that type of level of training, but it's it's building and there's a lot of places that are taking it seriously and a lot of good content online that you can go and review and 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 really help improve your 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 processes um when i started it was a lot of by the seat of our pants we we weren't as clear on some of the techniques i think it was very it, it was very telling i mean there there was a lot of work that was done back in the digital days um and when I say digital, I mean the company digital, um, where they were actually doing a lot of research around the user experience. Um, some of the stuff that Hugh Beyer and Keller and Holtzblatt were kind of part of and that contextual design came out of. And I very quickly gravitated towards that and thought that was probably one of the better ways to really kind of do research and find out what your customers needed. Even, you know, the idea of personas that I think have come and gone and come and gone two or three times since I've started. It was brand new then. It, it, we knew it from other industries. And so we started trying to apply it into our industry. But it was interesting to see how and understand how the differences really were going to apply. Um, a lot of the information that was, you know, we, that we were pulling from, we were pulling from anthropologists, we were pulling from psychologists, we were pulling from a lot of, of, yeah. of diverse backgrounds to try and make this re really work for us. And we didn't call it user experience back then. And, uh, you know, I, <laughs> they haven't settled on a name yet. I don't think I, cause <laughs> I think people are starting to rebel against user experience now, you know, oh. I hear people are looking for product design positions or, or, you know, and so 
it's it's interesting to see how that goes. But that's that's where we started it. And I still think that that's one of the things that I kind of miss in some of the training that I'm seeing nowadays is it doesn't have some of that background in anthropology that I'd like to see. You know, if, if we're doing an ethnographic research study and I say that to somebody in UX, I'd like them to know what that actually means. And that's important. You know, why, why would we want to do ethnographic research? Or why do I care about the psychology of how a person interacts with their device? Um, it's it's a little bit more focused on on look and feel, and I've been trying to steer my team a little bit. I mean, I've got some good guys on the team that are really really have top notch eyes, but I I like to get into why, and that's always been more interesting to me. So um, over the years, I started very much as a generalist really had to kind of, you kind of had to do it all. You had to do your own research. You had to do your own design. You had to um, understand the code that you were fitting in with. So that all took some time, obviously. Now there's, uh, people are starting to understand the value a little bit more. And so they're willing to put more money into it. And so before where you were maybe one person supporting 200 people, you know, I've got a team of about, six of us now that are supporting 200 people. So I think that people understand that it can make a big difference to the bottom line and really can help a business improve. And so that's been exciting to see the change as well. Um, we've kind of gone from the lone wolf to, you know, being able to work as a team, but that's, I would say that's how much it's changed over the years. And it, it swings back and forth between, is it more important to have something look pretty good? I think, you know, Johnny Ives and obviously Apple have had some very, very strong influence in that area. Um, and then I think that, you know, they're starting to see some of the problems that they've had, you know, like the decision to go thinner, thinner, thinner. Yeah, that's a great from a design standpoint, but it led to some usability problems. It's like maybe a longer battery life might be a little bit nicer, maybe a more, a uh, solid phone that doesn't bend quite as easily might be nicer. <laughs> um, so it, it's 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 been interesting watching the profession really try and reach a balance between the aesthetics, which are very important, um, and the usability. Mm -hmm. And you know, there's a whole bunch of books written about emotional design and how we react to things. And you know, that's I think that's it's important to keep in mind. So yeah. You just spoke about so many things that I want to crack open Sorry. all the different little boxes because um, there's just so much that, that you have spoke. Just, just so many topics. And the first one I do want to ask you is that, uh, let's start with the easy one. You mentioned sure. it wasn't called user experience before, right? Like yep. how has that terminology changed and what did people call it? So when I very first started, um, the groups that I was joining were computer human interaction groups. Shortly after computer human interaction, they started calling it HFI, which was human factors interaction. Um, and then after human factors interactions, I think we tried just a while for product designer and then people kept getting us mix, mixed up with the people that are doing database design and architecture design for the back end on the computer stuff. So they said, well, we can't just call you a designer. And so that's when, and I'm not sure exactly where user experience came from, but I was pretty excited when it came along because um, it did seem to me to really capture what we were trying to do. We're trying to define an experience where a user can actually be successful and have a, just enjoy what they're doing as opposed to having to slog through something yet again. So. Right. And for you as a practitioner, I can only imagine like when people didn't, didn't understand, and those usually are the people who want 
you to come in and do oh whatever magic you do right how has that that like when the outsider comes in to ask you to do your magic like has that ask you know changed over time how has you know the outsiders seen your job differently from you know back then to sure. now for the longest time people thought that all i did was rearrange the stuff that was on the screen right it's like <laughs> i i think all of us have heard the term lipstick on the pig right it was my job ah. to put the lipstick on the pig how frustrating is that when you look at it and you're like okay i see why you have the screen and i see all these things but if you just made this feature available over on this side you don't even need this whole screen and the user wouldn't have to do anything at all that's i think that's where it's changed a lot right we've gone a lot from development coming to us and saying hey can you just rearrange this and make this look good on a screen to people understanding that user experience is not just the aesthetics because aesthetics is important as i said you know it's that reaches into the emotional design area but they also are starting to understand hey you know we we need to keep it simpler we need to keep it more streamlined we need to assume you know developers have always assumed that users are dumb and it's like no they're not dumb they're busy they're focused they're they have other things going on they have a dog that's barking they have a child that's crying they don't necessarily have time to focus just on what you're trying to make available for them and even if i'm in an office environment you have things that are completely distracting you and taking you away from what you're doing so you have a very fractured interface with them um, being able to get that through to developers has always been the hardest part but now it's not as hard as it used to be uh, i think people are starting to understand oh it really does matter if it takes longer than three seconds for a page to load because i i, I can't make people wait that long why do you think that is why are people more educated nowadays well, I, I think that, fortunately, there's been a lot of people that have had very large voices, right? So you have the Jacob Nielsen's that have really made an influence on the industry, obviously. Um, his his original book on you know usability for the web, I think, surprised a lot of people and they just didn't get it. Um, and now it's easier for us as practitioners to to point to a lot of research that's been done. And people are saying, wow, there's actually research that's actually fairly it's not just brand new research anymore. It's actually been there for a while. And so they can actually really kind of start pointing to that. So I think that makes a difference. And I think all in all kids, as they're growing up now, they're just, they're dealing with, with the technology more and more. And so they expect it to be simpler and easier and more straightforward. They're, you know, they're the digital natives that, that we've all been kind of waiting for. But, you know, there's still a lot of us that need a little bit of help here and there. But I think their their ability to understand stuff is a little bit higher. And so they're also saying, hey, we expect it to be a lot easier to use. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, you have companies like Google that made search so prevalent. I mean, can you imagine an interface that doesn't have some search of capability now? Mm -hmm. I, I don't think that would even fly anymore. So, yeah, that's a very, very good point. And to be honest, like, I can't remember like life before Google. Yeah. <laughs> I have no memory of that. I, I don't know if you guys remember, but I really don't know how we functioned. Like, it really changes your life when one company makes one giant decision that, you know, yeah. spills over to all other aspects in life. Yeah. yeah. No, it was exciting when Google came onto the block. I, I do remember it very vividly. Um, back then, I was using AltaVista and Excite as my search engines, and they were okay. They just they weren't quite as accurate, and you but you did not have all the knowledge at your fingertips. I mean, you hoarded knowledge like crazy. That's what you would do. Well, that's what I would do, um, because 
you needed to be able to have it available because you never knew if you'd be able to search and find it again. So Google really kind of did change that. Yeah. It was the encyclopedia. And when we first got our encyclopedias, I remember as a kid, I would sit just in our living room and just read the encyclopedias. Like I loved them. And that was, there you go. There's your pre Google. You just had that. <laughs> you had books in, in the library and you would just like go through it. And, and that was it. Not nearly as extensive or as, as searchable other than you had to go and find it and hope that it had the information that you needed. And then you'd get the update like once a year of like, here's the things that, have come out. It changed in the last year. Yeah. Yeah. Can you imagine nowadays? Yeah. Like, like, how do you do that? How yeah. do you do that? Far, far too rapid to <laughs> hope that you could keep up with something like that. Yeah, I, Dave. I'm glad you kind of brought up like the 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 then and then and now. Um, I do want to hear your thoughts on like currently where the industry is at. Do you think we have a good balance? You kind of mentioned like people understand what it is now more you know common than before. Do you think right now the industry is at a healthy pace or you know, moving forward? I think they're moving in the right direction. I think there's still a lot of help that we need to do as um, both product and, and user experience organizations uh, in the wild. I think we just need to help them understand what we're really there for, that we're not there to put the lipstick on the pig. We're there to make your experience a joyful experience. I mean, how much nicer is it to use a software that's been well thought out than to have to figure out how to do your taxes for the 15th time in a different way, right? Um, I mean, if you kind of look at the way TurboTax has changed the way that people file taxes, I'm not saying that I'm a big TurboTax fan now, and we all have issues with with different designs that everybody does. I mean, that's one of the biggest problems I think any designer has is like, oh, I would have done that so differently. <laughs> but but if you think about it, you know, if, if we can take these experiences and make them easier and just again bring more joy i think that's going to make a big difference and i think that the industry is starting to get that there are still some people that and you know this it it, it depends on their exposure i guess but there's a lot of people that still think that we're just doing the lipstick on the pig thing um and you know they'll forget to invite you to meetings about database performance because they they're like why would any why would the ux team care about the database well the ux team cares about the database because you're determining table structure there and what if i don't want my interface to be in a table and by the way how fast are you going to be able to access that information right so so many times uh you know developers that have been kind of doing this for years and years and years keep forgetting that hey we can actually help them understand some things about that but it's getting better it really is um and i think it'll continue to get better yeah, At least that's my I, hope. <laughs> I, I love what you just brought up because I definitely have moments where I'm like, I sound like I'm crazy to, you know, ask to be there for certain meetings that people are like, wait, what? Why does that matter to you? And then I'm like, well, yeah. of course it matters. <laughs> so there's no very, icons on that page. Why do you care? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. There's no skin yeah. on the thing. Why do you care about how the thing works? I'm like, well, yeah. that's kind of part of my job too. Anyways, yeah. so I, I love hearing that. And um, on that note, um, how, how would you like the, to see the industry to change and to continue to evolve? You kind of started talking a little bit about that, but what, what, um, what would be your ideal scenario? I think it's important that we're understood that it's, and I've been trying to bring point this, this point forward a lot. You know, there's so many benefits that your user experience can bring. Um, and this is one of the great things about 
how I'm working out health equities, we're getting more visibility into the organization. They're actually being able to put that out in front of their customers. Um, I'm putting together a member advisory board and a client advisory board where we're hearing from our customers on a regular basis. This is something that we're going to just continually be able to nurture and grow. And not only does that increase the usability of the product, but it increases your client's ability to say, hey, I'm part of that. It, it gives them a feeling of ownership. And instead of just being the customer that uses your software, they become the loyal defenders of your product. Um, and, and I think in a lot of ways, that's what we kind of just need to keep doing is, is helping organizations understand that we can make the experience a beautiful, wonderful place for these people and they can get their jobs done. If we can take something that took two hours, take five minutes, I think about how excited you would be about that. It's like, I would use that product the rest of my life. And so I think understanding how to communicate that out to the different organizations, which I think is becoming better and better, the higher placement within organizations, I think is becoming better and better. I know several places uh, have started looking at having chief experience officers, right? What, how can that really impact the business? And the fact of the matter is, is we can help you improve your sales. If you're losing sales because something is hard to use, who else would you turn to except the user experience group? They're the ones that are going to want to be able to do that. So anyway, that's, that's where I would like to see us is just have a, a larger presence at the table and help them understand how we can really it, it from a business side, it's a great thing. And from a user side, it's a win-win it is what I think it boils down to. But I think as organizations, we need to kind of help communicate that out. I think that's awesome. Shifting gears a little bit. So we talked to a little bit uh -huh. about this um, at the very beginning and I wanted to get your, your take on it. Um, so you've helped establish or help reestablish, you know, the, the UX team at, at health equity and, you know, kind of help build that up and, and help create uh, UX as an organization there. Generally speaking, you know, how do you go about creating a good UX organization? And then you know, what are some of the things that, that you've been doing there and have done or seen at other places to really create a good UX team and a good UX culture and make that a successful thing where, you know, you're not only getting a seat at the table, but you're really helping to drive design as a function at the, at the company forward. Sure. Um, one of the things that is, is really critical is being able to make sure that you have a good champion for you. Um, that's one of the things that I've been very lucky about with any organization I go to is that those champions have been willing to uh, broach some organizational bridges that I wasn't yet able to, to bridge. If, if you're moving into an organization that doesn't have a champion besides you, that's going to be very, very difficult. Uh, I've been very fortunate that, that I've always had someone that's interested. And typically by the time that they're looking for a UX person, you're going to have someone else that's, that's, that's there to help you championship. But once, once you actually have that champion and once you get hired, the, the process of building the team is finding people that can work well together, that have really great empathy, and that can support each other. Um, that is the one thing that I've always focused on my teams. I am willing to work with interns. I'm willing to work with senior level people as long as they have the empathy and understand that we're all working towards the same goal. And once we can get them centered on the goal of, listen, our members are important. This is what we are focused on and this is why we're doing what we do. 
it's much easier to get team to do what you need them to do. They're they're much more likely to support any ideas that that we have to to help the organization if if we can do that. I enjoy a lot. One of my favorite things to do is to bring on interns and to help them understand what the industry is like and to really mentor them through that process. Um, and it's gotten to the point where the people that I hire, I've hired a lot of people that I know at Health Equity, they know what I'm looking for them to do. And so they'll actually also help mentor the internship. Um, and, and having people just willing to help out like that, I think that's what makes your team so much stronger. If you're only relying on one person to help build that, you're gonna you're not gonna succeed very well. You really need somebody else there to just kind of support the whole team. And it's important to have a lot of diversity. That's the other thing that I've always tried to focus on is because if you don't have diversity, you're not gonna have a great idea of how that user base is going to to think, right? If 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 everybody looks and acts just like me, then we're going to deliver something that's for me. And that's, that's not what we're supposed to do. I have a mug that says I am, uh, you know, know thy target user. It is not you. Right. <laughs> um, I've had that mug for <laughs> about 15 years now. Um, it's been dropped a couple of times. It's got some cracks, but it's so important for me to remember that because, you know, it's, it's so easy to try and think, Oh, yep. I, this is how I would use it. But there are so many people out there that have so many divergent points of view. Um, that's one of the reasons I like hiring young people as well as having access to some older people, because it really helps to have that diversity of feedback, um, you know, both male and female and both uh, different cultures. Right? All of that is, I think, just critical in, in having a successful team. Yeah, no, I, I think that's exactly right. And we've talked a little bit about that, too, where if if you don't have that, then you end up making uh, even unintentionally some mistakes at times yeah. and it can be difficult. And speaking of that, what are some of the biggest difficulties or challenges that you faced either in building teams or in helping to establish kind of design and UX within an organization? The first thing I think that is sometimes the hardest is is getting the respect of the other people that you're working with. Not everyone is immediately open to saying, hey, yeah, we need to have UX there, right? So you need to be able to make sure that you can develop a certain level of respect with people. I know that that's probably the number one problem that I still have with some of my younger designers as they're working with these developers that are typically, the groups in development are not quite as diverse as the groups on my team, for example. And so there have been some times when the developers are like, well, that was just a suggestion from somebody. It, it, doesn't really matter. But then when I come in and say it, they're like, oh, yeah, we'll do that right away. Uh, that's a problem. And that's one of those areas where I'm like, no, listen, if I have this individual that's on my team who I trust and who I've assigned to this and knows this product very well, and they suggest something, I expect you to pay just as much attention to them, whoever they are, as you would to me. I mean, people look at me and I've got gray hair and I'm obviously a little old and, you know, and so they kind of give me this respect that I think the people on my team deserve just as much as I do. I, I, yes, I've seen a little bit more around the block. Yes, I've seen some problems that maybe the people on my team haven't seen, but that doesn't mean that they don't know what our user base is trying to accomplish. So I think that's probably one of the number one things is getting them to, to respect the team. Once you build that respect, it becomes much easier. Um, there are still some teams that I'm struggling with that 
even today, where I, I really wish that they understood that the person that I've got is actually really good at what they're doing, has received all this backup from not only me, but the people farther up the chain that just love her designs, and yet they don't seem to be able to accept it. It's interesting. But that's that's probably the one thing I would break it down to is if you're not getting the respect, it's going to be really hard to break your way in, in, into that organization and make a difference. Wow. I really love what you said, um, kind of empowering your team through like this very upfront like interaction too. And I, I mean, I'm confident that this is not limited to, you know, what we do, but just any leadership position like that's so good to hear. I really, really wow. love that. And thank you for saying that. <laughs> Going along those same lines, for those starting out in in UX, and for those bringing on, you know, you talked about um, mentoring and bringing on some of those young uh, interns and young individuals. What would you say is is either some of the most important things to do, or the most important thing for a young person starting out in UX to do right now to help them? in their career as they kind of begin in design? Yeah. There's two things that I really look for when I'm hiring someone brand new and it's just breaking into their, into the industry. It's hard to look at their portfolios. You, you, you need to have a portfolio of some kind, obviously. And so they really need to be working on their portfolio, but there's two things that I really expect um, my interns to really kind of look at. One thing is empathy, right? And we kind of touched on this before. If 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 I can't hire someone who has empathy, um, and that doesn't mean that you necessarily believe or feel the exact same way as the person that you're representing, but you need to understand how they feel and you need to be able to convey that to somebody else. And so if you're having problems with empathy, I think it's important that you learn as much as you can about empathy. The second part I would say that you really need to improve is your visual vocabulary, right? So when we're learning to talk and when we're going to school, that's one of the things that they help you do is they, they help you build a vocabulary, right? We're taught from the very beginning of grade school how to express ourselves. Um, and the better you can express yourself, the better you're going to be. In user experience, it's much the same way. They need to build a visual vocabulary. And that's actually why the portfolio is important because you can start seeing if they have a diverse visual vocabulary or if they only need to, if they only understand one type of language, right? And mm -hmm. so if I can actually see that they're starting to have a good visual vocabulary and if they can build that visual vocabulary, and this is, it's, I'm not going to say this is my, my finding, by the way, a visual vocabulary is something they taught me about in architecture school, mm -hmm. right? And they tell you when you're trying to design buildings, don't, you, yes, eventually you want to be able to come up with something new, something that you've, you know, kind of, kind of come up with. But the fact of the matter is, is you don't do that by ignoring everything that has come before you. You need to know what has come before you. Um, and you need to know all the different things that have come before you so that you can react to it or change it or understand where its failings were so that you can improve them. If you can have really, really good empathy and really, really good visual vocabulary, that's going to be much more interesting. The nice thing is, is starting in UX has never been easier. Um, mm -hmm. you, there are so many programs out there. I would be very leery of boot camps that tell you that you can be a UX person in three weeks. <laughs> um, I've had some difficulties with people uh, that thought that the boot camps gave them everything that they needed to know about UX. I, I don't think I 
they they do a good job of introducing the topic topic to you, but I don't think they get you there. But there's plenty of great programs online. You know, if you go to edX or um, if you go to Coursera or or any of those, there's there's actually really good university programs that you can look at and do online and learn from if there's not something in your immediate area. So I would encourage you to do that. There's a certain amount of education I think that you do need to have because you do need to be able to understand, like, you know, like kind of earlier, like I was saying, what is ethnographic research? Why is ethnographic research important? Somebody just asked me the other day, um, someone who just graduated from their program and said, they were asking me what kind of research I do. And I said, well, I tend to lean towards the ethnographic research, specifically contextual design, as it was kind of hammered out by Hugh Byer and Karen Holzblatt. And they're like, who, what, when? <laughs> um, and that's that's one of those things where you need to be able to say, yeah, here, this is important. If you So you, you kind of need to understand what's been going on in the industry as well. And there's enough stuff online. I mean, pages and pages and pages and pages of stuff. Not all of it's good, but, uh, but there's a lot out there. And I think it's important to understand all of it, even the stuff that you don't agree with. I, I, I love everything you just said. And I feel like I keep saying that, but um, there's one thing I, I, I do want to dive into a little bit more <laughs> is when you talked about earlier, um, finding someone that has empathy, right? Then they can design mm-hmm. for more than just themselves. How do you look for that in an interview or even through a portfolio? <laughs> it's really hard to do it in a portfolio. Um, if all <laughs> you're going to do is show me a portfolio, I'm going to have a hard time hmm. testing that, right? Or, or even looking right. at that. Um, I, the interviews I have, I mean, I'll do a call screening just by myself and I'll see how that goes. Uh, and I'll ask them questions about, Hey, you know, tell me about times where you had to do this or where you were in this type of situation. Um, and how did you respond? Mm. And so having those types of interactions can help you understand how they might interact in a, in a similar situation from a software standpoint. But also I like to get them in a group and I like to see how Mm. they interact in the group because when you're in a group, it's very easy to tell when they're uncomfortable with somebody. Right. Maybe they're comfortable with everybody in the group, except for one person and they don't pay attention to that person. And so typically I'll bring them into the group interview and I'll just kind of sit back and watch and let the group kind of interact with the person so that I can kind of see how the, that's going. And I watch, I watch the expressions on their face. I watch how they're interacting. Um, you know, I try and make sure that I see if they have disdain for a certain question or, you know, we used to joke. One of our favorite questions to ask is Marvel, Marvel or DC which I frankly don't care one way or the other. I'm, you know, comic right. books galore, please. I love them all. Um, but it would always be interesting to see why they would say something like that and to see if they were insulted by the question. Because I've had people just flat out be insulted. It's like, why are you even asking me something so trivial on an interview? And it's <laughs> like, well, because in user experience more than any other, right. you, you need to be able to just get into anybody's shoes and understand mm-hmm. kind of what they're thinking. And if, if I ask you Marvel or DC and you're offended by it, because you think <laughs> then, then you're going to be offended by other things too, right? That, that you aren't think that you think are going to be beneath you. And I don't want to have someone that thinks anybody's beneath them. I, I want everybody to feel like they can understand. So it seems like a silly question in an interview. And it certainly is a you know comedic break in interview because let's face it, when you're being interviewed by a group, that's really hard. Um, but it also really does. It, it, it's what exposes, I think, most um, whether they're empathetic, em- empathic or not. 
I think that's such an interesting point and such a good tip for like folks that are looking for jobs right now um, in interviews. It's such an art. And also for us, like people that are interviewing people, we only have like half an hour sometimes, you know, and full hour to get to know you. And like what you mentioned just now, like if you're just flipping tables, it's like, oh, whoa. <laughs> um, yeah. It makes it hard to, you know, see the good in your answer if you're already like, oh, I don't want to do this. Um, has anyone really tell you like, Oh no, I don't want to answer. This is such a, you know, whatever question, anything like that. Uh, no, I, I have had people that, that have said, you know, that's, I, I have no respect for anybody that even thinks about Marvel or DC. Um, and, and, you know, they, and, you know, I just, I note it and depending on how the rest of the interview went, I mean, it's okay if they're not pro Marvel or pro DC or even pro comics, that's not the point of the question. The point is just to see the reaction a lot. Um, and so, yeah, I've seen a lot of people that have less than empathic responses. Um, I've seen people that cringe when, you know, someone that looks like they're the junior member on the team and who they think that they're definitely going to be senior over asks them a question. It, it bothers them. And it's like, I don't need a person like that on my team, right? If mm -hmm. the only thing that you can see is the hierarchy of the team and you're letting that affect your interview, that's a problem. Um, and I'm not going to be able to build a strong, cohesive team with that. Yeah. And dear listeners, if you know anyone who's going to be interviewing a health equity with Dave, like <laughs> tell them, listen to this episode. There's so much good in, in this episode. But yeah, any other like interview tips for people that are, you know, going to look for jobs or um, going into interviews? Be genuine, be passionate and let it come through. Uh, passion is so important. That is always one of my default questions. What's your passion project that you're working on? What is, what is that one thing that you're doing on your own? It, this podcast is a great example of that, right? What, what a great passion this is. I, I looked into doing podcasting. I realized how much work it is. And I have a whole bunch of questions about, you know, the software that you're using to edit it. And, you know, are you using OBS? And what are you doing for your ins and outs? And do you have an amplifier? And I, a whole bunch of questions. Um, but the fact of the matter is, is that's not where my passion is. But you guys are doing a great job. And so your, your passion is showing through. And so that's why I like to see these passion projects. I like to hear about these passion projects. Um, so to me, that's one of the most important things is, are, are you passionate? Do you really want to do this? Or are you doing this? I get so many people that come in and say, well, hey, you know, this is, I, I was going to be a designer, as in, you know, a, a graphic designer. But yeah, I understand that UX makes about three times as much as a graphic designer. <laughs> well, are you in it just for the money? Or are you in it to help the individuals? Right? And that's, I think, the biggest question. Um, because if you're just in it for the money, it's not going to be a great job for you. I can tell you that right now. It's going to get old right. very quick. Yeah, the money helps, but it, <laughs> money helps. Help. I mean, yeah, don't. <laughs> we all need yeah. money to survive. Don't get me wrong. Um, right. And I'm always glad when my next raise comes. But the fact of the matter <laughs> is, is I, don't, I don't do it for the money. Um, I really do it because hey, being able to talk for the users is my passion. I, that is the thing that gets me up in the morning and gets me excited. And if you talk to me right after I spent time talking to a user, you can tell if there's just a difference in the way that I'm carrying myself because it's like, Oh my gosh, this is the best job I've ever had. <laughs> so, um, is, Has there been like one experience in your career that you were getting that like super rewarding, you know, feeling like ground level, like, can you share with us any story like that? Absolutely. So, um, 
there's been a bunch of different places in my career where I've I've been pretty lucky uh, to work with some really exciting teams. I've worked, uh, like I mentioned earlier, when I worked with Primavera Project Planner, we were, I'm going to talk about some magazines that no longer exist and that probably <laughs> nobody remembers, but we were winning the, the Win, Windows 100 Award every year for project management. We were winning the Ziff Davis Awards every year for project management. And so we we were doing great. You know, that was great when my career was starting because I was like, wow, this is really exciting. We can make a difference in a lot of lives. Um, unfortunately, they killed the project because uh, it was a $600 product and they had a $3,000 product that was not as easy to use, but everybody was choosing to use our product because it was just as good um, and easier to use. And so they killed <laughs> the project. Um, but, you know, and then I had another situation where I, I joke that I, I helped win CES. Um, I actually say, oh, yeah, I won CES that year. So Sling TV, when they first came out, I, I, I try and take credit for that. But the fact of the matter is, is <laughs> it wasn't me. It was the team. And, you know, I joke about that. But truthfully, the time that I think that I've made the biggest difference is I've worked on a product called Family Search. Um, and working at Family Search, while it wasn't the most financial, uh, it, it, I didn't get paid the most of that job, but it sure was satisfying because it was helping people find connections in their lives in a way that I'd never really done before. I mean, all the work that I had done up to that point in my career was really helping a bunch of IT professionals be able to do their job better, which is great. And I, I loved it. But when I got to work at Family Search and helping people do their genealogy, that actually, that was my favorite time in my career. Um, it was fantastic. And I would walk home and I, sometimes I look back and I'm going, why the heck did I leave that again? <laughs> and ultimately it was because I needed just a little bit more money. Unfortunately, that's the way it goes. Um, and I was being offered a director job, somebody else, somewhere else. So, but, uh, as far as being able to make a difference in a lot of people's lives, uh, you know, family search has over a million hits a day and we really were making it a lot better. Um, so that, that's probably the most exciting moment that I've had in my career. Wow. Those are, um, th those are really, really cool. Um, family search if, if people who are listening or if you're not familiar with it, that is a, it's an, it's an absolutely great, great, uh, product that I think a lot of people love and it gets, it's getting better all the time. So I think the UX on it used to be terrible a long time ago. And so Dave, thank you for one. I think it's improved massively, massively over time. And it's a lot of people love it, uh, being able to like find family. It's like family history type stuff. If you're into family history, yeah. like it's cool, cool stuff, like be able to see, um, like your just things from your past. Very, very neat things. And then you, you won CES. I, I Googled it real quick in 2015 <laughs> sling tv won yep. ces in 2015 yeah and you were part of that yeah. i would i would brag the heck out of that if i if i had worked on a product that won ces i don't think i would be humble about it so well the fact of the matter is is i really have to give more credit to the team they worked so damn hard on it they they were they wanted so much help and they it was one of those experiences where the team was just like they were just thirsting for like, what can you help us do? How can we make this better? How can we make this better? And we'd have testing, we'd bring in a tester and we'd, we'd actually have the whole team there, the whole dev team there and they'd watch and they'd, you know, 
when they started feeling the pain that the users were feeling, it made quite a difference. And there was a lot of changes that came after this as well, and a lot of better changes. And um, but the fact of the matter is, is it, the team won CES. I I was there to you know kind of shepherd it through that particular part of the day, but in the end, it wasn't me. It was the team. So that's why I joke about it. But usually in my interview when I'm negotiating salary is when I joke about it. (laughs) (laughs) Pro tip. That is a pro tip, everybody. If you have anything you want to brag about, make sure you mention it. It definitely helps to make you memorable, right? At least. Yeah. But the, but the fact of the matter is, is I do try and tone it down because it, the, the team, they were just incredible. And I, I don't deserve any of the credit compared to what they did. Well, that is very, very cool. A lot of cool things. Yeah, I really feel like this. I mean, this episode, I feel like I'm going to school. Like, just every minute. <laughs> I'm not sure it, that's good or bad. <laughs> that is great. Like, I would love to have you back. Like, I don't know, ten more episodes, Kyle. Does that sound yeah. great? Because yeah. it sounds great to me. Um, and I know I'm going to be your neighbor, so <laughs> I will see you around for sure. You, you can just come over and knock on the door and say, Dave, oh. we've got this problem. Can you help us out with this? Don't joke about that because I think I really will show up on your porch and don't be surprised when that happens. And, and, and when that happens, and um, I, I do want to, you know, ask you a couple of questions that is not work related. <laughs> um, outside of design, uh, UX, building teams and all the great things that you're doing, um, what what else do you like to do in life? So uh, that has been something that I've been actually struggling with a little bit since the, the pandemic started, right? I think we all had to kind of take a new look at what we were doing with our lives. Um, and so I decided to start looking into, um, I don't know if you've heard of bush crafting. It's basically camping, but on steroids a little bit. Um, and so it's, you know, people who go out and they, they'll cut down the trees and build the temporary st- uh, shelters <laughs> and yeah. And so it's, it, it's, it's lots of fun. If you Google bushcrafting on YouTube, you'll find it. It's a little bit uncomfortably close to prepping for me. You know, I don't, I'm not a prepper just to make sure that that's clear. I really like the camping and being outdoors part. Um, I've taken up whittling and really enjoy whittling, um, but those are the things that I've been kind of getting into lately and I've been starting to play with and trying to the people that have been on my Instagram account lately know that that's actually, I started taking pictures of all the little gadgets. And I think that's probably why I like it is I like the gadgets. I'm, I'm a gadget guy. Um, I, I think Kyle can, can, can talk about that. Um, <laughs> I was always the guy with all the gadgets on their desk at, yep. <laughs> at, at work. So okay, always trying the latest wireless headphones. Oh, uh, oh, you talk about it. I, if you want to talk about tech gadgets, like, so for example, I can tell you about the Jabra, um, the Jabra headset that Kyle's wearing. That is the Jabra headset, right? It the is. 85. Yeah. Yep. Uh, I've owned, I've owned that. Loved it. Um, I've, uh, <laughs> that's why I was asking about the mic earlier and, you know, I, I was easily able to identify your microphone. Um, it's just, if it's electronic and it's gadgetry, um, I, I love it. Um, I've tried just about every type of earless or um, truly wireless earbud out there just to see which ones I like and which ones I don't like. Um, I've had all versions of the Sony um, MHX series, the basically the competing one to, to what yeah. Kyle's got on his head. Um, I've had the Jabra Elites, the little wireless ear things. But it's not just that. I mean, I also love iPads and playing with my iPad. I'm sure that you've started playing with the iPad and the pencil. I would imagine by now 
Eva. Yeah. Yep, yep. And how much fun that is with Procreate and, and those types of, and I just love those types of gadgets. Yep. And I, we have three people in the house and I think I've got six iPads. There's a problem. <laughs> um, but um, yeah, if That's it's, so if it's tech, if it's tech gadgetry, in fact, when you move in and you find out that you need a new cable or something, just come over. I'm sure I have it. Sweet. You heard so, it here, guys. You heard it here. Yeah. <laughs> you need to run some Ethernet up. cable. We I can help you run Ethernet cable. It's just that's just what I do. I I want to um say that all three of us here probably are tech people that love technology and just want to consume it as much as we can in whatever form we can. And, um, my husband just talked about, cause I, I just got a new computer and then he's like, Oh, I think I need one too. I'm like, Oh, you need one now? Like why? And then it's just like, I don't know. It's Did you get one of the new M1 Macs? Is that what you got? That's what he wants. He wants the MacBook air um, with the M1 oh, chip. He's, oh, I can't. I, so I actually got it and then returned it. But oh. I would highly recommend it. Yeah. Um, it, the only reason I returned it is because I really couldn't justify having it. I've got four computers on my desk already. And I was like, where am I even going to fit this into my workflow? I can't fit into my workflow. And at $1,800, it was just a little bit more than I you know, could justify. But it is a beautiful device. And the fact that it's never fan, I mean, there's no fans. It's quiet forever. And it was every oh, wow. bit. I couldn't believe Safari on that device. It was just it was amazing. I can hear the passion in your voice. And I want to ask, do you have a YouTube channel that you review all these gadgets and stuff? No, no, I should. I should, yeah. but, uh, but yeah, I don't. That, then your <laughs> hobby will kind of pay itself off with, you know, the money from that channel. That's yeah. what people do nowadays, right? <laughs> I've, I've often thought about that. It's like, yeah. really, I mean, if people knew how many gadgets I've reviewed, um, yeah. So. Yeah. When you're ready, we'll pluck your channel um, in our show notes and everything. So let us know. <laughs> we look forward to that. I sure will. But if, yeah, if that ever happens <laughs> again, it you know there is some passion there, but I don't. I, I know what it takes, man. You, what you guys do is not easy. <laughs> uh, Kyle's the driver in this operation. I'm in the passenger seat. <laughs> yes, but you're the ones coming up with questions, and that's. Just, I, I'm always impressed by what people, how they right. choose to, to follow their I, passion. The internet has shown us just all kinds of ways to be really cool. And I'm still trying to figure yeah. out, like, <laughs> am I doing enough, enough as a person? Like everyone's doing yeah. so much, but yeah, that was a building, great answer. And building a personal brand is, is not for the weak. It is definitely yep. not for the weak. It, it takes a lot of self-promotion, which I'm getting to the point where I, I, I I don't need to toot my own horn that much. <laughs> like I just I I would rather just just do my job. Hey, listen. If anyone don't know you, just tell them to listen to this episode. I think anyone like can say that you have again been been around the block multiple times, built it, taken it down, built it again. Um, and and really, thank you so much for being here with us. I I really think this is a great great episode um and i know this is a perfect timing to segue into our last question which is our <laughs> favorite favorite part of the episode when we either shout out um products we love or products that we don't love um who wants to go first kyle do you have any strong shout out or a gripe um so nothing too strong but 
it's funny that uh, <laughs> Dave, he kind of referenced it. I actually started using uh, OBS uh, a bit mm. over the past couple of weeks, not for our podcast, but to do like video and screen recording. And it has been uh, just been great. Like, so it's one, it's free and two, uh, it's been super easy to use. I've been using it for, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's got a couple different forks that are not free, but OBS itself is free. It hasn't been very, let's just say that the latest iteration Kyle is what's gotten it to be to the point where it's as user-friendly as it is and as stable (laughs) as it is. Um, because it's been a lot of time, not as stable as, as is needed for a lot of people, but yeah, the current iteration is doing much better. Dave, do you That's, stream or how do you, do you use OBS? No, no. Um, how do you so my, <laughs> I, I research these things because like Kyle said, um, it's, it's one of those areas where if you're going to do testing of users and what you want to do is you want to be able to start being able to straight, uh, to, to bring in. Uh, a camera that's looking at the keyboard, a camera that's looking at the face of the user while displaying the screen of what they're looking at. So that if you're showing it to somebody, if you're creating a highlight reel, um, they can see what the reaction on the face, because sometimes people will tell you, oh, oh, oh no, I get that, right? But the the expression on their face three seconds before they say the oh, 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 oh is, speaks volumes. And so being able to see what, they're seeing on the screen at the same time as their face, as the same time as their hands, and be able to handle multiple video feeds like that at the same time, and the audio feed from both the computer and from um, the user and from the interviewer. Uh, is, it's, it's just critical to have software that will be able to support that type of stuff. So OBS is where we've been actually, um, I've been inc- uh, encouraging Julie to start looking into that kind of stuff, because actually that's something that I'd like to start using much more uh, in our day to day as well. So that's exciting that you're starting to use it like that already, Kyle. Yeah. So have started to use it. I'm not as familiar with some of the older uh, iterations of it. So I haven't had any poor experiences with it, but it's been very, very useful for some of my personal use. And then some of uh, just what we're doing or starting to do in some of our products use. So it's been good so far um, and have been excited to, uh, to use it for, for some of that. So good things, good things to say about it. I, I recorded like a couple of uh, like product videos earlier today, uh, which was really good. And yeah, that's going to hopefully do some like other products testing and things like that. But anyway, yeah, shout out to, to that. It's, uh, it's, it's been useful so far. Um, Dear CEO of <laughs> OBS or whatever team that is listening that builds uh, OBS, sponsor us. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I am the hater of the group, I feel like, because every time there's an 80%, 80% chance I come in with a gripe, um, I have one word. And I don't know how much more I need to explain. One word, Robin Hood. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. Um. I don't want to do my podium three hours speech about why Robin Hood is not a good friend right now, but <laughs> I, I think everyone kind of knows about GameStop and everything. It's all over the news, all over the internet. But um, I yesterday I was sitting at home. I was just thinking like, huh, this is really bad. And I was thinking like, what is their product team doing right now? Can you imagine working a normal Thursday and then just 
having to go do 30 different meetings to talk about your product. And then there's just so much power in your product and also the decisions you make and all the external factors that play into your products. Um, but just Mike, that's, that's my gripe. There's the gripe. And yep. And that's the, a good gripe. That is a good gripe. gripe right? Everyone's and griping on this. Everyone. Yeah. So the counter, yeah. the counter shout out to that is to Reddit. Yes. Love Reddit. <laughs> so, you know, here's the interesting thing. Uh, and I think this probably, I agree that the, the current place where Robin Hood seems to be, seems to be a problem, but there's a reason they got there. Because if you think about what people could do up to this point, as far as doing any trading in a retail environment at all, it was so difficult. And if you look at what they've done is from, from a usability aspect and how they can make it in their app and how it's easier to use. I, that's the thing that's so frustrating is because you, part of me wants to champion Robinhood as one of the greatest pieces mm -hmm. of software that's come along because it's taken something that literally was only allowed to those people that had millions of dollars yep. and it, given them capability. Unfortunately, as we're finding out, you know, the people that use the app are not the customers. The people that use the app are uh, the people, their their information is being sold and and that's too bad. And, you know, it's kind of like Google. Google is the same way. You know, all of a sudden you know, we've been using Gmail and we love it and we've gotten so used to it and so entrenched it. And so now it's hard to get out of. And it's yeah. sad when, when user experience is used for ill. Yep. Um, because they really, they really did something special there when they put it together. Unfortunately, the intentions behind it were not what they should have been, which is too bad. I agree. Especially if you named your app Robinhood and it's not for <laughs> yeah. the people, like it's kind of, oh, okay. Um, you kind of set up the perfect, you know, uh, meme there for yourself and yeah, it's unfortunate. No yeah. But, but I agree with you that accessibility that wasn't there before, like for just as normal common people, that's yeah. incredible, incredible thing. Um, Yep. Yeah, it's unfortunate. I've but, used yep. a couple of their competitors. You know, I I, I have used E-Trade um, to manage some of my other stocks, and it just wasn't as simple and straightforward. And so it's 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 sad that, that this is, has come. I actually had a, a couple of things in Robinhood, and I was like, oh, I guess it's time to see if there's something else out there that I can yeah. use. So, yeah. Um, and yeah. then, do I, should I talk about products that I'm in love yeah, with? Right we, we, yeah, we definitely have to hear yours because you, I think, are the most, <laughs> sounds like you have got some serious, serious experience. So I'm excited. So I, I don't know that I have serious, serious experience. I am in love with the truly wireless earbud, earbud concept to me is so incredible. You know, I didn't, I didn't understand it. It's like, well, how bad can it be to have a wire draped around your neck or how, you know, how bad is it? And to have the extra freedom, it, it just kind of has blown me away. Um, I've tried a lot of the different ones and tried to figure out how they are. I mean, everybody kind of has to figure out the ones that fit in their ears. Like Apple stuff will never fit in my ears as much as, you know, I, I like Apple just fine. But for whatever reason, their idea of biology in my ears don't mix. <laughs> so, um, you know, I've played a little bit with, uh, the Jabras, I love the Jabra Elites. They're really, really nice. I really love the Sonys. They have great sound. Mm -hmm. um, both of those are pretty expensive. And so there's also some that are on the lower end that, you know, I've tried as well. So there's a company, um, I think everybody's familiar with Anchor from their USB cables. Yep. They also have a subsidiary called Towncore. 
um, and they have some truly wireless earbuds that are really, really good. Um, there's another company called One More that makes some really fantastic. I just, I love their uh, noise canceling headphones. They've been fantastic for me. Um, in fact, when I get off this call, I actually go have to go find uh, in my bed where I lost one of my headphones <laughs> last night because I, I tend to listen to audiobooks before I go to sleep. Um, I, you know, I, I love consuming uh, audiobooks as I'm drifting off and it kind of fell off my ear last night for a change. And it was the first time it's happened in a while. So, but truly wireless earbuds are truly incredible. And so if you can find one that fits your ears and that you like the sound of, I couldn't recommend them more. We are big fans on the show. And I, I, the, the Jabra elite, those are my, my, my big, I'm a huge fan. Yeah. This is 75. <laughs> nice. 75 T for me. I've, I've been thinking serious yeah. about upgrading to the 85, but I have, I have literally no reason to at this point. Like I've been really happy with the 75. So. Yeah. I think the 75s are actually, the only reason I could see to move to move to the 85 T's cause I, I thought about it briefly, but I really don't need wireless charging on my earbuds. That's no. not something that I really need. <laughs> and that's really the only thing that I saw that the 85 T kind of brought the table in fact i think they're a little less wire waterproof and so i know i know i have a very low demand of what my headphones <laughs> need to do <laughs> hearing <laughs> everything you guys just mentioned but yeah that makes sense i never thought about wireless charging for that either wireless charging yeah. has never been a thing that i i ask for but it's, it's a yeah. big thing that a lot of people like Absolutely. but yeah i I'm glad that we end on a happy note. <laughs> I knew mine was going to be a hate, hate, hater thought, but um, again, thank you so much, Dave, for sharing with us um, just all the nuggets of knowledge and wisdom that you, you had um, um, shared with us today. Um, any Anywhere that people can follow you or anything you want to plug? Uh, I really don't have much to plug um, on Twitter, I am at SundiverDB. At Instagram, I'm at SundiverDB. I can't imagine that it would be that exciting to follow, but that's those are my two. Uh, those are the two social media things that I I do. And I used to have my side company that I would run, and I'd point people to that, but I just haven't been doing that at all lately. So I no no real reason to point anybody towards that. So oh, I'm following you right now on Twitter. So. You'll get one follower at least from here. But yeah, thank you so much. I think this is the episode. Um, Kyle, anything to add? Dave, anything? Any last words? Uh, no, this has been great. Uh, thank you so much. It has been a great discussion. It's been my this pleasure. Is it. It's, uh, I really enjoy talking about it. Yeah. Well, thank thank you. you so much, everybody. And this is it. Goodbye. See ya. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app. You can find out more about us and our podcast on our website at productbydesign.co. You can also follow us on Twitter at prodbydesign. That's at prod underscore by underscore design. You can follow me on Twitter at Kyle Larry Evans. And you can also find Eva on Twitter at Yan Chow Chow. See you next time.